afternoon I may preach to you the gospel of salvation as we also confess this, summarize it in Lord's Day 22 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 22 of the Heidelberg Catechism, that's page 536 in the book of praise. The Apostles' Creed is part of one of the ecumenical creeds, one of the confessions that we hold to, teach, love. And this is the, the last two phrases of the Apostles' Creed. We're studying what, what it means. So Lord's Day 22, the church confesses, what comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this my flesh raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in the beginning of the Bible, we read about the beginning of human life when the triune God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. That's Genesis 1 verse 1. And he created the heavens and the earth and everything in them so that they could praise and glorify him. Psalm 33 mentions that. Romans 1 talks about that as well, the purpose of creation. Every creature that God made is called upon to praise his creator and his God with all his being. That's what we sang in Psalm 98 as well. Even the rivers are called to clap their hands and the mountains to sing together for joy. At the end of the Bible, in Revelation, we read, that there will be a time when all rebellion, all those who refuse to worship, all sin will be completely destroyed. There will be a new heavens and a, a new earth. You say a new creation when God will dwell on earth in the midst of men. And everyone will joyfully praise him, unhindered by the fall into sin. And the Apostles' Creed the church confesses that she believes in that big picture revealed in Scripture. A triune God who created everything and who will bring his church to eternal glory. And as we study the creed, and, and Lord's Day 22 is the last part of the creed that we're studying, we should not lose the connection between the beginning and the end, between creation and eternal glory. 
The gospel promise is that the goal of creation will be realized in us and and by us through Christ our Lord for all eternity. We have been made body and soul to praise God, to live in fellowship with him. And we believe that we can do this fully because we will outlive sin. That is the beauty of the confession of the church about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. In your striving to worship God with your whole being, as you have been made to do, know very well that you will outlive sin. Your soul will continue to live after your body wastes away and and dies. And later your body will be joined to your soul and made like Christ's glorious body. And then you will be able to live in perfect blessedness in which to praise God forever. Preach you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme. By God's grace, we may worship him eternally. As creatures made from the dust, first of all. Secondly, as Christ's body. And in third place, as citizens of heaven. If you open your Bibles to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 1, you can see that, especially starting verse 26, that the triune God decided to make man in his image on the sixth day of creation. And so he made male and female human beings in his image. And there's more detail about the creation of man in Genesis 2, verse 7. You can read there that the first man, Adam, was formed from the dust of the earth. Genesis 2, verse 7 says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. If you look closely at this verse, you can see that although there were two stages in the creation of man, God was not finished creating the man when he had just formed the body, but that man became a living being or a creature only after God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The text also makes it clear that sometimes in the Old Testament, the word soul can be a reference to the the whole person, which we would define today perhaps as, as body and soul forged into one living being. We, body and soul, are image bearers of God, which means that we, body and soul, give glory to God when we represent his name and his glory before men with our whole being. Now, it may seem strange to you that we keep emphasizing this body and soul, the unity of our body and our souls, but it's something that many people often miss. Because our bodies are wasting away with old age, we realize we can't put a lot of hope in what our bodies can do in a relationship with God or with others. There are people who believe then that worship of God must be something that is merely cerebral, something only of the mind. 
Or there are others who say that worship is, is not to do so much with the body, but with the emotions that we feel in our insights. But it has very little to do with our regular tasks and calling. Sometimes you can read it or talk to people who see the, the human body, the physical body as a mere trap. It almost holds us down. And you can read about it again, and, and many so-called Christians, they, they long for the day when the soul will be able to spring free from the body and, and I don't know, float around, just be, get lost in the greater whole, like some big ocean, some nirvana. So as a result, there are people who don't take care of their bodies as if their bodies are unimportant for the Christian faith. Others who think that any bodily desire, human desire is, is completely wicked and then they live a, an ascetic life, a, a life where they take out all desires and they try to live without eating too much and they really, really make their bodies suffer. This emphasis on the inside, the soul. But then we look at the church's confession. This is a very old confession of faith, years, hundreds and hundreds of years. Comes straight out of what Scripture teaches. And we see that we begin with the creation of the body from the dust of the earth, made to enjoy God's beautiful creation where He placed the man who placed him in a garden. And it ends, the same creed ends with a, with a confession of the resurrection of the body in the last day. Although we certainly do not despise our emotions, our, our insides, or our thoughts and our reasoning, we do not separate them from the whole person. And as Christians, we recognize that we are whole beings made by God to glorify Him. And so also what our body, bodies need are part of our creation. And when we look closely at scriptures, we see that God receives the fullest praise when we are worshiping him with our whole being, when there is consistency in our lives. God created man to worship him in a very concrete, in a very real way. If you look at what he teaches us right at the beginning, Genesis 1, could call it the great mandate, 26 to 28, he, he's going to tell us why he made us, what, and he says, here you are, I made you, and what does he say, be fruitful and increase in number, talking about family, rule over the world, and then he says, rest from your work on the seventh day, worship me on the seventh day, that's what we were made to do. Can you imagine even beginning to obey this mandate if you didn't have a body? You're floating around. Worship of God involves more than just a soul connection in your devotions. It's more than just knowledge in catechism class. More than just an experience in a worship service. But worship touches all of our being. Everything we do, everything we think, every activity. 
And God created us body and soul so that we could worship him in our work, in our families. And when he called to worship him, called us to worship him with our whole being, God did not forget that he gave us bodies that can only be at one place at a time, that have special desires, that, that find delight in certain things that he also made here in the world, in creation. And then we look at the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments show that God knew very well that he created us with bodies as well to worship him. They're very earthy. They teach us how to live before the Lord. They teach us how to use our mouths. They teach us what is a desire that glorifies God. They teach us how we need to treat one another, how we should use our hands. They teach us how to fulfill our mandate, how to truly love and trust our maker. The Lord God made us creatures from the dust of the earth so that we might praise and glorify him forever in body and soul. It's all scriptures point to the need of our bodies and our souls for worship. And that's why we talk in the, in the confession, in our, in our creed, about the comfort of knowing about the resurrection of the body. Because when we realize why we have been made, that all our yearning, all our striving in this life is a striving after God, a striving to glorify Him, when we realize how we have been called and made to worship God with our bodies and our souls, then we also see the, the seriousness of the consequence, the consequences of the fall into sin. You see, death came into the world when man decided it would be better to seek his own honor and his own glory rather than to glorify and thank God. Sin caused a separation from God and Paul says in his letter to the Romans that man began to worship the created things instead of the creator. And the human race in rebellion gave their bodies over to the lusts of their hearts that turned their focus away from, from, from God. Sin came, it, it polluted the creatures whom God had made from the dust to worship him. It clouded our understanding, perverted our desires, and made us perishable. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, we are as perishable as flesh and blood. We are unable to inherit the kingdom of God. You can see that a lot, can't you? Sin, sometimes it's our own laziness. Sometimes we see sin and rebellion in others. Or the effects of the fall might be illness, might be injury, might be some sickness, and even death itself, which separates the, the soul and the body. These things are horrible. They are so painful because they make it harder for us to worship God fully. Perhaps that is the biggest reason we have for hating sin. It hinders our worship. It gets in the way of why we were made. We were made to, to worship God. 
It's true that we as sinners, we are still able to worship. That's why we're, we're here today. But we're severely limited by our earthly tents. And it's frustrating to see how far we are from pleasing God with our souls, with our bodies, with our whole being. It's frustrating to see how we have robbed ourselves of our gifts. And so with God's revelation in, in, our, in our hearts, in our minds, in our hands, we're reading it and eager to worship God once again fully and eternally. By God's grace, we pray as our Lord Jesus taught us to pray, O oh, Father, hallowed be your name. That's the prayer. The church, grant that we may rightly know you and sanctify, glorify, and praise you in all your works in which shine forth your almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. O Lord, you made us to glorify you. We are limited by our weakness. Show us the way. We pray with Paul, like we read in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. The only hope that man has to return to pure worship is found in Jesus Christ. And so as God's church, we rejoice that already now in this life, we can see the beginnings of renewed, sincere worship in the power of the resurrection of Christ and in the promise of the resurrection from the dead. To see our eternal worship as Christ's body, the resurrection of Christ from the grave which we confess to be true. It brings new life to each one of us already now in this life. His resurrection gives us the promise of bodies and souls that will be completely able to worship God for all eternity, unhindered by sin, the effects of the fall, and even death. We see one who has conquered sin and Satan and death. We see a glorious body. The promise of Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 37 is that, that chapter very well known where there's a vision of a valley of dry bones. And the prophet is told, preach to the bones, preach to the bones. And all of a sudden they, they started clacking and rattling together and, and their flesh was added to them and they became whole beings again. That promise of Ezekiel 37 is a change that is already taking place in the hearts of all who believe in Jesus Christ. All who have received his spirit that he works through the preaching of the gospel. Through the preaching of the gospel, the spirit revives that dead nation, that valley filled with, with bones. The bones are, are representative of those who have, have removed themselves from God, who have only focused on themselves. There's nothing left but dry bones. 
And then the Spirit restores them. Do you know what the Spirit restores them to do? You know what the goal, the promise of Ezekiel 37 is? That they might settle in the land. That, that they might be what they were made to be again. Living in a land, working, raising families, and worshiping God in freedom. The clacking, the rattling of the bones of the prophecy of Ezekiel points to the ongoing work of God among his people, points to the, the hope of the resurrection in Jesus Christ. The restoration that we have in Christ is connected to our original mandate. It's a blessing for us because it brings us to worship God in spirit and in truth again as he promised to the Samaritan in John 4, verse 21, uh, 24. The end of rebellion is the beginning of worship again. And so life, so worship is connected to bodies living on the earth in our work, in our family, in our liturgy. The Spirit who lives in us, he, he lifts up our whole beings to look to Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord who is in heaven, so that not only our insides, our feelings, our souls, our thoughts, but also our bodies, our, our visible lives are dedicated to God. The consequences of true faith are visible in your bodies as well. We worship God, body and soul means your activities, what you're doing during the week. They show what's in your heart. The language that you use, the, the way you dress, your interests. The problem that Romans 1 tells us when we worship the created things instead of the creator, it's overcome by God in Christ's work. And so the Lord brings us to the place of worship again. Romans 12 verse 1, and you can open that up if you don't already have it memorized. It has that, that connection. It's stated very clear. It says, in view of God's mercy... Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It's a spiritual act of worship. In view of God's mercy, we can continue to worship again. As members of Christ's body, we can begin to do what we were made to do. We see the power of his resurrection. We can know the power of his resurrection and live a new life. Our desire to worship our triune God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, in spirit and in truth, without any hindrance of sin, without any distraction, without any sinful thought, without any sinful word, it creates in us a deep longing to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of us even though we recognize that we aren't there yet, and that's what Paul says so clearly 
in Philippians 3. That's why we read that passage together. He says in Philippians 3, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. And then you get that striving, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The desire, that pressing, that straining on to get what what we have in Christ, to see the fullness of the power of his resurrection. That's a great comfort for us already now. There is a connection between life now in Christ and all eternity. We state that in our confession. Since I already now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, since I already can see the the beginning of that worship, that sincere worship, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness in which to praise God forever. The now is related to the eternity. The guarantee is in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. In John 17, the Lord Jesus who's serving as the eternal or as a perfect image of the Father in heaven. He prays to his Father in heaven and asks that God might allow his Son to glorify him by granting eternal life to all those that he received from the Father. And so the Son brings us to eternal worship already now. And what does that mean? John 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life begins already now because we may know the Father and we may know the Son. We may know the power of his resurrection. We may begin to to do our tasks with our bodies and our souls for the glory of God as members of Christ's body. The evidence of God's grace in us, the Holy Spirit who leads us in worship as we carry out our mandate in in our work, in our families as fathers and mothers and as children, who who leads us to, to gather together on the day of rest to worship Him in accordance with the Ten Commandments, with the fruit of the Spirit evident in everything we do, the Spirit who makes our obedience beautiful in the eyes of God, this evidence gives us hope for the time after we die. Paul says it'll continue on unhindered. This past Wednesday, there was a graduation. Several members of our congregation graduated. It was mentioned several times at this milestone in life, this the ceremony that we're on a journey forward. And all three speakers, uh, those who were invited to speak, uh, they they spoke of of moving forward. They made it clear that the end isn't here on earth or in the grave. There are milestones behind us and in front of us. 
And as we pass through the, the moments of despair in this life and the battle against sin, the fall in our own hearts and all around us, we need to keep our minds focused on eternity. Even a comparison was made between all our life compared to eternity. Our little weak attempts at worship, even though they are purified in Christ, and even though they are necessary and they are beautiful, they really won't compare to what is coming. That's the comfort of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength today, hear the comfort because that beginning of eternal joy that you experience now, the beginning of that eternal worship that you see in your lives now as, and we could say as pitiful as it might be, it's a seal that you can look forward to a heaven, an eternity in the presence of God. We see our eternal worship finally as citizens of heaven. Paul says that in Philippians 3. He says, we have been called heavenward in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful way to live life. We live here and we're here in the call. It's a call heavenward. When we read through the rest of the letter, we see that until Christ returns, this movement from earth to heaven will be done in two parts. First our souls, and then our bodies. You see, Paul still says that death is an enemy. It's the last enemy, but it's an enemy that affects our physical body, but does not and cannot affect our souls. Paul said that our souls, in our souls, we remain with the Lord forever. You can't separate the Christian soul from, from fellowship with God. Jesus told the convert on the cross beside him that he would be in paradise with Jesus that same day. Dust you are, says the Old Testament, and to dust your body will return, but your relationship with God, your experience of being in his warm embrace and conversing with him will continue. In the same way that you maintain fellowship with God from birth to old age. As your body is changing around you and, and sometimes you can read about it that since your cells are constantly replacing your whole body, your whole physical body replaces itself within seven to 10 years, but you're, 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 you remain connected to God with your soul. So also when you leave your body behind the day of your death, you will maintain fellowship with God. Now this soul fellowship with God, although Paul says it is clearly gain, it is still something that we do not really want as the end of everything. We are glad that it's a temporary state. In fact, we fight to stay alive on the earth because we recognize the importance of our bodies that God created, body and soul, to, to worship him. The fact of the matter is that if Christ does not return first, we will all have to face that, that separation of body and soul 
And we should not pretend that, that this is easy. Paul talks about this tension in his own life and, and he shows the problem of the either or situation that we are presently in. You can see this very clearly if you turn back to this, in the same letter to the first chapter. That's when Paul asks in chapter one, verses 20 to 26, he asks, what's better? What's better, to be in the body and on earth or to be apart from the body and in heaven? And although we are not in control of what happens at the end of the life, our life, we may all have to wrestle with that question. What is better, worshiping God and glorifying him on earth in our bodies as fallen and as weak as they may be, or departing from this earth and leaving our, our body behind and, and being with Christ? And although we know that this fellowship with God in our souls will be full and satisfying without the hindrances of sin and the limitations of a fallen body, God has promised that there will be more and that one day when Christ return, you will be whole again. This is the glorious gospel, the comfort of the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. God made us to want our bodies back, joined together with our soul as he intended us to be so that we, free from sin, imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual, may say with our physical mouths, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation tells us that once again God will come to earth. He will dwell in our midst to receive the, the full honor and the full glory of every creature on the new earth and in the new heavens. We believe and confess that when Christ Jesus ascended into heaven, we have our flesh in heaven as a guarantee that he will take us, his members, up to himself, not some other creature, but your soul joined together with your glorified body will spend eternity praising your creator. The comfort of the resurrection of the body, the comfort of the life everlasting is not a selfish comfort. It's not something, oh, finally leave this behind and, and, and receive a banquet the comfort is that you, brother, you sister, you will be able to glorify God with your whole being for all eternity. And we look forward to that day. We look forward to that day when we, as flesh and blood, with legs, with hearts, with hands, and with voices, yes, with, with bodies like that of our glorified Jesus Christ, we will be there continuing the praise that we started to offer in such weakness today. And when you compare Genesis 1 verse 2, or sorry, Genesis 1 to 2, the first two chapters of Genesis, with Christ's word, Christ's words in Revelation, and we look forward to that eternal praise and the glory of heaven and the new heavens and the new earth. We look forward not to just songs, not to just things floating around, but we look forward to the discovery 
of beautiful things. We look forward to wonderful and pleasing activities that we can do with our bodies for the glory of God. We look forward to to bodies not hunched over and suffering and, and limited by the effects of the fall, by illness, by sin. We look forward to bodies like our Lord Jesus Christ had. And the fact that we can look forward to it is is very special. It's so beautiful. And if we think it's beautiful when it is but a poor reflection as in a mirror, when we only know in part as like a child, that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we can imagine how much better it will be when we can see it face to face. And the church looks forward and very humbly says, it will be like no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man conceived. To him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen.